Welcome to Startup Growth Stories by ARC. Hear from founders of bootstrapped startups and decacorns. We discuss the successes and the failures and the things they learned along the way. In the final minutes, founders get vulnerable. They share how growing their business has impacted their lives. Join us every Thursday for a new startup growth story. And now, here's our host, Don Muir. I am joined here with Paige Robinson. Thank you very much for taking the time to meet with me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to uh, to have you on. So in a quick sentence, who is Paige Robinson? Okay. Paige Robinson is Will Reed. She's a mother. She has three kids. She loves culture and absolutely feels like she's having the MBA masterclass of her life, getting to help the very best next generation of startups build their best go-to-market teams. Incredible. And for those who aren't familiar, who is Will Reed and what do you do? Yeah. So Will, Will Reed is my company. We're um, an executive search search business and we help the best founders really build out their early executive teams, really seed through series B. We always joke because the company's name Will Reed. My name is not Will Reed, but I am the founder of the business and there's always the inevitable what's the name, what's in the name story. But we can maybe get into that another time. And you're the CEO as well? I am. Yes. So what's a day in the life as CEO of Will Reed? So in this season, probably much like your listeners and probably a lot of what you're experiencing, it is, um, we're in a lot of the really fun and challenging parts of scaling. So um, in a lot of ways, I find myself leaning in to lean out across a number of different like parts of our business, but things that are pretty consistent every day in the day in the life is that I'm almost always talking to our clients and I'm always taking calls with our, with prospective customers. And then we do a lot of work actually in the founder enablement space. Cause our like core thesis is that the best companies are companies where the founder is a fantastic recruiter. So we do a lot to try to help through a number of different mediums to help founders, like actually find who are they as a recruiter and set them up for success as they scale their teams. That's great. It sounds like a, a real pain point that I've experienced myself and lots of our listeners here who are, uh, who are who are listening in, I'm sure, experience. So that's that's super insightful. Let's start at the beginning. Right after school, from what I understand, you wanted to break into finance. Sounds like you quickly realized that wasn't the world you necessarily wanted to join. Can you tell me a little bit about the experience interviewing for those finance roles and what you learned about yourself in the process? It's kind of interesting reflecting back on this because I think we're finding ourselves perhaps perhaps in a similar season, but you know I graduated around, you know, in 2010 and we're obviously one year after the market totally crashed and so that right. experience of like kind of navigating your first job out of school, I think anybody that was kind of graduating 0910, you know, you had your degree, you had your grades you worked really hard for and then you also had to like respond to like okay, like who's actually hiring in the, in this in this market in this time. And so yeah, I'm very grateful for my background in finance, but I quickly found that I honestly just enjoyed more of like seeing how finance got applied in different business environments. And so I, when kind of comparing like consulting versus finance, I found myself like drifting more towards consulting and seeing how you're using like those different, I, I mean, I saw that in your background as background yeah. consulting is a great, I had a very like, similar realization myself. You, yeah. Yeah. When you don't know what yeah. you want to do when you grow up, it's not a bad, like, not a bad, bad stop to just learn a bunch of great skills and, and, and get exposure. But I think I, don't, I was actually curious about your story. Did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like when you were at BCG, were you pining? 
to do the entrepreneurial thing, kind of biding your time? I went through a very similar journey myself. I, I interviewed for investment banking roles. Uh, I realized that that management consulting was the better path for me. I wanted to yeah. roll up my sleeves and, and get involved in operations. And really that inspired me to later start a company. So it sounds like a similar path that that uh, that you followed. Yeah, I always knew. I always knew I wanted to to start a business. It just was a matter of if when and what. And um, grateful for the, to your point, grateful for the experience just to kind of see a bunch of different businesses before I did it. So after a couple of years in in management consulting, you started a company before Will Reed. Is is that right? Can you can you speak to that experience and how you ultimately landed and where you are today? So last week I was actually at a uh, conference with with one of our one of the VC partners that we work with a lot. They pulled together a group of founders, and we were we were all laughing about this because the business I started is kind of like a tour of duty for someone that you know tends to start a business like right out of school. But your first like problem that you become aware of is you're like, hey that finding that job process really sucked. Like, I feel like I should do something to solve that. And you have like, you know, maybe don't fully understand ramifications of TAM or, you know, how do you actually like scale? You know, anyway, so I, I actually first, my first business was actually a, a mobile app that we, um, you know, basically launched on different college campuses. And we then connected some of the largest employers in the world to be able to share jobs using group affinity as a mechanism to actually share and like advertise different positions. And then the long-term goal was to actually like have group affinity like on campus be another data point for how companies can understand like someone's background beyond GPA major. And, um, very cool. We we learned a lot (laughs) cool in terms of like, got the badge. Like I got the badge. I learned a lot and, you know, kind of saw that, you know, so that definitely played a role in a lot of, you know, where I, where I've been and, and where I'm headed. So grateful, grateful for the tour, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, the first time is, is always the, the most challenging. And I imagine that my second company, I'll, I'll be doing things differently than the, than the first time around. Lots of, lots of learning, certainly out of the gate. Um, in terms of Will Reed, search is search, but it seems like you're doing something different. How are you setting yourself apart? I think there's two two main things. The first one is really around the focus. So I think you know, startups have largely been overlooked in a lot of ways by the other executive. Like there's some fantastic, fantastic executive search firms everyone's heard of that'll be listening to this podcast, and, and they're great. Not, nothing bad to say about them, but you know they tend to you know take early stage work as a deposit to do later stage. Like you know they want to be able to do your CRO when you're a Series D company. And I think the recruiting process for early stage is just really different. And so we've really focused and kind of made a, like made everything about our business, solving a lot of the pain points for that, that like that, that really affect recruiting great talent at your most pivotal time of growth. So that's the first thing. The second thing I think kind of came out of, came out of that, which is really around like, you know, founder enablement. And, you know, I think we quickly saw like, you know, as we run searches across, you know, a number of different companies the searches that go the best are when the founder really knows how to be a great recruiter. And so, you know, we've just thought about like, what if we could, we could leave every company that we worked with where the founder felt supported by us to like unlock who they are as a recruiter, because it like the first phases of your company, it's founder led recruiting. And then if the founder doesn't quite get that, then you don't pass it on successfully to hiring manager level recruiting, which is like the next phase. That's like 2.0 of growth you know, that's a big part of like, I think that what makes our search process different is we include a lot of enablement in our search process formally and informally to help the founder, to help founders 
be successful in that, which obviously like they're great. At, they're brilliant. They're, they're way, way smarter than me on everything else, but we spent a lot of time recruiting. So a lot of time recruiting. So we're like, we should unlock, we should package these or we're leaving, we're leaving people better than we found them, whether we're working on the role or not. Are you able to share a little bit of that, that secret sauce? How, formally, if, if you're willing, how are you, how are you guiding founders to unlock their potential in the recruiting process? So I think there's a couple of key things. And we actually, yeah, we have this actually kind of in a formal program that we do in a workshop format with different VCs. And then we do, we have a, a, a kind of a, a, a more boiled down session that we do with every search search that we kick off. But the key thing is really around understanding what creates brand this early and what the founder's role is in creating the company's brand. You know, doing something like this, for example, is is a really powerful way that like you're uniquely equipped to do for ARC that, that, you know, at some point you can scale past you, but for right now, this probably is your best and highest use to like get the company out there and build, you know, build awareness. And so talk to excellent founders and CEOs. Right, right, right. And so like, you know, we talk a lot about like, especially since quite a few of our founders are technical, how do you get comfortable? What feels natural? Like, how do you like naturally enter that space where you're kind of this, the talking head, so to speak for, on behalf of your employer brand. And how do you basically like connect that to a why that continues to motivate you to do that. Where again, I think it feels unnatural for a lot of people. So we do that. We also talk a lot about like how to run a great interview process. Like how do you really know if it's going well? How do you you know think about like the candidate experience? We talk a lot about like talent infrastructure more broadly, and then just like what we're seeing as best you know best in class techniques that people are using kind of across our portfolio. So we update it all the time, all the time. I'm curious how that how that translates to culture and the brand you're building at Will Read. Employer brand is clearly a, a, a huge part of your identity and, and what you bring to the market and what you help your clients with. How are you actually marketing your own brand and sharing your culture to continue attracting talent in-house? We really took the time early on to define our core values. And we do like see that come through as almost like a blueprint for how we try to engage with the world publicly. So like, for example... I'll be the newsflash. Arc was actually featured on and probably our largest like marketing publication that we do on an annual basis, which is where we spend a lot of time helping companies essentially have that are early stage, like have their very first piece of like really, really good employer collateral that they can share to help attract candidates. And so we put together through you know, a very competitive process very meticulously to select the top 100 early stage companies that are really showcasing how they're developing culture. And so as always, I feel like Will Reed's kind of a conduit. Like the people that I think get attracted to Will Reed that want to work here, like the idea of enabling founders to be successful, you're a conduit to like helping them build and being a part of like a multitude of dreams that are being happening across our, our ecosystem. We're thrilled to be part a part of the platform and, and such an incredible group of startups. We're really, you know, humbled and um, and excited to be to be part of that network and to continue to attract world class talent to our team. So the pleasure is is all ours, and really appreciate it. We know a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the the listeners here are, are founders and operators, senior managers at early stage growth companies. There's been a lot of recent change across the labor market, and given your seat. We'd love to pick your brain and hear your insights into the labor market, if you don't mind. Last year, we were talking all about the great resignation. Now, looking at you know at the current market environment with rate hikes and we're seeing layoffs and in the headlines, it seems like the talent market is has changed. Can you speak to some of those changes that you're witnessing in the labor market? 
one side of this, I'm sure, you know, I think every founder I've worked with had multiple conversations with their board in the month of May, like multiple conversations, really the way in which companies are being evaluated has changed. Like they've had the script flipped, you know, where grow at all costs, suddenly like we have to now, and then like, plus everyone's going, everyone's like, you know, adjusting to totally new, you know, new metrics, new KPIs for how they manage their business. And so the way that that got translated down into talent is that, you know, we saw companies get really focused on like, what are those high priority roles versus like nice to have. And so I think in general, the amount of hiring in this segment maybe went down. However, one thing I've actually really appreciated, like as the chief seller of our business is that when people are engaging with you, like they're serious about that role, like there is conviction that this role is a must have role for the business. And so I think that also translates to even better search execution because you know, you can't, you can't get to the the next side without this person. So that's what I'm seeing on the company side, on the candidate side, it's pretty interesting in the months of May. I mean, we saw the candidate market freeze, like freeze, like everyone just was like, what is about to happen? And so even candidates that had been active, like pulled back, like we just saw like a lot of like slow down as people like, were like, am I going to get laid off? Is it safe to go to early stage? There's a lot of questions as it's like begun to settle out in the months of June and July. I think there's a lot of education that's happening right now around like in the candidate market around like, how do you view early stage? Like, you know, how risky is this compared to later stage deals? You know, maybe someone that would never, you know, maybe thought they want to get early stage, but now getting cold feet, how do you reassure them? And in general, like the candidate scorecard is changing a bit for companies. Like I think candidates are feeling like they can ask, you know, a different set of questions earlier in the process. Likewise for our founders, I'm also seeing the founder conversation change with candidates. So prompt negotiation process, I think has moved from like the wild, wild West, everyone's lighting money on fire to more of a, like if done right, more of a human conversation of being like, I'm trying to build a great company that's worthy of your talent. We have to have comp be reasonable where we have like the credibility and the runway to effectively do this mission. Candidates like, I don't want to, you know, like it's just, it's much more of a conversation. I think you're, you're spot on there. What types of questions do you see candidates asking those startups or what do you encourage those listening to the podcast today that are considering joining an early stage technology company? What questions do you suggest they ask the founders during those interviews? Depending on the role, different questions are getting asked. So we do sales, marketing, customer success, and, and human capital. And, you know, I think sales talent is getting like, they want to know where things stand with runway. Like runway is a big, big part of like how they evaluate like the stability of the role. And they also obviously are going to to want to dig into a number of KPIs around like product market fit as well as sales fit. And so it doesn't mean that if you're early stage that you don't necessarily have all that figured out that they might not be interested. It's just like, if they're going to get in the trench with you, because everyone knows that the next job they're joining, they're in the trenches with this person. It's more about like, let's start the, like, like, let's not have an information gap as I come get in the trenches with you. So it's like those kind of key metrics, I feel like are coming up much earlier in conversations as candidates evaluate. And do you find that the management teams are now becoming more transparent around business fundamentals and performance with new hires? Or how are you seeing those conversations evolve from the startup's perspective? The best founders have always had a good like talk track, I think, around that. I think what I would say is that it may be happening a little bit sooner in the process. And the best candidates have always demanded that as well. I think, again, it's just more about like where that's falling in the interview process. I think like people are kind of getting more real earlier in the process to, to really assess whether 
again, everyone's next step is going to be a tour of duty because we're navigating very uncertain times. And so I'll say that for anybody, anybody that's considering a move, you should view it as that. Like no one's going to have the perfect story. We're all, you know, we've all like kind of been thrown into like quicksand a little bit. It's more about like, who do, you know, what, what am I passionate about? Where am I trying to go with my career? And who do I want to do this tour of duty with? Because we're going to be in a tour of duty with each other. Uh, it's a great, it's a great analogy. <laughs> um, anyway. What advice, if any, would you give to founders uh, who are trying to hire top talent during these turbulent times? I think prep work before you kick off a search has never been more important. I think the market has been so like tossed around that the more that you like can kind of enter the market with like, this is what I'm looking for. This is why I'm looking for it. And this is like what, you know, what we bring to the table around this role, like that prep, I think just really shows like a notch ahead of like, you're not panicked. It shows a steady hand. It shows that like, yeah, we're, we're operating in uncertainty, but where I can control things, I'm controlling things. And I think that really speaks volumes to volume to candidates. And so I know everybody needs everything yesterday. You have VCs breathing down your neck. You have <laughs> customer, you know, you have customer. Well, I mean, everybody's got everything going on, but I think if you can show a, a steady hand, particularly as you enter the candidate market, I think it does a lot to reassure people. Great. Thanks for sharing that to me and to our listeners here. In the last segment of this podcast, we like to get a little vulnerable with founders and CEOs, if you're willing. We recognize that you know it's important to celebrate the wins. We read that you consider yourself to be a, a bad celebrator. Can you elaborate on what that what that means exactly? Each like height that you get to as a as a founder unlocks new challenges. So, oh my gosh, we hit this amount of revenue and all of a sudden I need to like provide my team more resources or I don't know how to do this. I've never done it before. Or, you know, it's, so I think that inevitably, like when you're trying to kind of grow this journey, it's very hard to celebrate where you got to because you're that, that new height suddenly requires new things of you that are newly stressful or uncertain. And that I definitely resonates. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I think, I think all of us, all of us trying to, to build something can like resonate with that. And so I think that, that having motions of gratitude and like finding ways to acknowledge the uncertainty or acknowledge when things have gone wrong, but do that in equal measure where things have gone right. And we never do that. Like I never do that. If something like something's gone wrong, like I'm thinking about that 100% of the time and not a single thing that went right crosses my mind. And so I think that's where it's like for our teams, particularly in this environment, like I'm, I'm outing myself, like I need to change that. That's not a good way. Like that doesn't, that doesn't unlock the best. And our team and clients. Like I want to get better at being like, Hey, yeah, that's, that's not going well, but here's everything else that is. You've got to celebrate the win. Starting a company is full of peaks and, and troughs. And even yeah. if you're moving up and to the right, it's easy to get lost in the, yeah, in the, totally. in the down. That's really insightful. It, it sounds like that comes from years of, of learning. I'm, I'm curious what impact founding will read has had, you know, broadly speaking on your mental health, on your relationship with your family. It's a great question. I think there are definitely have been, I think as you enter different seasons of life and well, I'll start with this disclaimer. I'm glad I didn't wait on anything in life while starting my business. It has made things a lot harder, but I, I wouldn't trade like having family or pursuing, you know, relationships with friends and other people to like in exchange. Cause I just think when you, even at 35, or almost 35 and 34, like even looking back, I'm like, that would have been a bad exchange. Like, and you don't always know that when you're in your twenties, you're like that extra little bit of work, or I've got to get a little bit further before I do that. Like, you're not going to be glad you did that when you're, that's really valuable. When you're 30s and 40s. So 
you then enter the phase of like, okay, I'm going to try to do both. And then it gets into the messy middle, right? Of like, you're working really, really, really hard on a business. And you're also working really hard to like care for family and home and friends and like live a full life. And, um, what I'm learning is like different seasons call for different versions of yourself. And so like, as our kids get older, like I'm learning that I have to have kind of more of a set routine with work than what I had before. Like I could just burn the midnight oil. Like I could just, you know, and so like, and I can't really do that anymore. And so you have to begin to have different systems to support the work that you do. And I wouldn't let like founders are great at solving problems. I would encourage anybody here, like, like those problems are going to come, but you're great at solving problems. You wouldn't be a founder if you weren't. You'll figure out how to solve them. Looking back, if you could give your younger self at inception of Will Read one piece of advice, what would it be? Knowing everything you know now, it's, it sounds like you've learned a lot along the journey. I'm curious, looking back, if there's one mistake or one learning or one insight going into starting this company, if there's anything you would have done differently knowing what you know now? I think I have grown as as just our business has grown and the caliber of founders and companies we work with. And who knows what it's going to end up being, right? Post-pandemic world. Like the U.S. just had a very, very unique thing and what it had like had in the Bay ecosystem. I think it's hard to appreciate that not being in it. And then once you kind of find yourself in it, but you didn't grow up in it, I think you appreciate it more. And so, you know, knowing where, like where my passions are, I, there's a part of me that wishes like, I just packed a bag and just, just move there, you know, in my, in my early twenties. Cause I think like I'm, I've learned so much and I, I think we've built so many relationships and I just think I would have learned it faster. I think that what, what probably took me five years would have been compressed to two if I just moved, just moved there. And again, I think it's hard to appreciate if you haven't like seen it up close of just the way that those, that ecosystem just presses on you and you get better and better and better at things faster. And I know everyone's everyone in the middle of the country is going to hate me. I'm sorry. I'm a Texas <laughs> girl. I love Texas. Texas is great. I'm definitely glad I live there now. But <laughs> Paige, this was this was a, a really awesome session. Really appreciate your time, and uh, I think it's incredibly valuable and insightful to all of our listeners here. So, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Startup Growth Stories. To continue the discussion, head over to Arc Tech.